Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode where we will each talk about a separate movie that we watched this week and whether we would recommend or refute it. We have the usual cast of characters here this evening. I'm your host, Michael Dixon, and with me is Mr. John Garcia. Hey, hey, I am here to talk about something that's not schlock, everybody. I just want to get it out right. I feel like at this point, I, I have to declare you. that every time that I start it. <laughs> legally bound by contract. Uh, <laughs> if you talk about it, it legally becomes schlock, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're going uh-huh. to one of yeah. those things where yeah. like, if people witness a crime, it becomes a crime, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. Ryan King, how you doing? Good. I think I watched Steven Spielberg's only schlock. I think that's what I'm going to do. Oh, no. Did you watch Ready Player One? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, maybe that's schlock, too. I have watched that one as well. Maybe maybe they're not all hits for Spielberg. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, anyway, John, why don't you uh, kick us off this week and talk us about the not schlock that you watched? Yeah, so... Um Actually, uh, with us having watched The Sound of Metal recently, sorry, Sound of Metal uh, recently, (laughs) I I did, um, I actually didn't get to watch anything after I watched that movie. Uh, Maybe I wasn't in a mood. Who knows? Um, So I'm pulling a little bit back uh, from my my backlog, what I watched recently, and it was, um, we we watched 2001, you know, a month or two ago. Fuck yeah, we did. And it was a fantastic time. Really loved it. May or may not have been on mind altering substances. Who fucking knows? (laughs) Uh, What are you, my lawyer? Um, (laughs) well, I decided I got the itch, you know, I wanted to see a little bit more from the Arthur C. Clarke universe, uh, of sci-fi. And I always heard that 2010 was a bad movie. And so I, or just a bad sequel, I guess not a bad 2010 colon the year we made contact. That is correct. Um, uh, and so I decided to watch 2010 colon the year we make contact. How are you going to convince your people to allow Americans to go on the flight? We are going to get there first, and you have the knowledge to make the trip work. How far away is Jupiter? Far. Mommy said you're going to be asleep for a long time. Are you going to die? Dr. Floyd. If this date is correct, then there's something down there. It is correct. It was organic. There was life. Is it moving? Yes. It's incredible. Listen for a minute. We've got to get out of here. I can't just order us to leave here for no reason. Forget reason. There's no time to be reasonable. And it's fucking great. Like, I, it's not Kubrick. Obviously, if you go into it expecting Kubrick, you're going to be disappointed. Why would you set yourself up for that um, when the director has no name near Kubrick? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I can say is... You know, it, it well, what it foregoes in terms of like composition and the photographic senses that Kubrick had in all of uh, 2001, it really embraces the richer lore behind Arthur C. Clarke's science fiction. It is what Arthur C. Clarke probably wanted 2001 to be, because I remember us talking about how uh, at the last minute Kubrick was like, nope, fucking dump all this exposition. Yeah, Just let all people the narration gone. Feel whatever they can. Um, well, you know what? Arthur C. Clarke is back and he's brought Peter Himes uh, as the director. And Peter Himes actually got the sign off from Stanley Kubrick. He was really nervous about doing a sequel to 2001. And he thought maybe Kubrick would be offended that it would be a thing. So he called him and said, can I get your blessing? 
And Kubrick said, I don't give a fuck what you're doing. I don't give a shit about what you So <laughs> he was like, all right, that's the go ahead. They got Roy Scheider and John Lithgow and Helen Mirren playing a Russian. Um, <laughs> surprisingly well, like really great Russian accent. Um, mm. Sasha said it might be one of the best she's ever heard in film. Oh, wow. Which is oh, from wow. a non-Russian speaker. Um, and so uh, it was just like this really interesting thing where if you've seen 2001, even if you haven't by pop, by like pop culture osmosis, you know, at this point that uh hell 9,000 is a computer that goes wild, kills a bunch of people. Computers gone like, wild. Oh my God. <laughs> um, 2010 is the story of uh, it, it's very riddled with like cold war sentiments where uh, in 2010, America and Russia are still kind of at their throats, not sharing information. Um, Russia has been a major aggressor. Um, wow, that's not what's happening at all right now. Mm. Uh, and Roy Scheider works for or worked for um, part of NASA. And now he kind of cleans like the satellites, I guess, that they use to, <laughs> to scope shit out. Um, in the middle of doing his janitorial work, he's approached by a Russian agent who basically is like, hey, what if I told you that for two minutes we could tell each other whatever we wanted to say. Um, and that's like the, the, the opening of the movie. It's such a hook where he's just like, all right, two minutes, no bullshit. I'll tell you what the Russian government is doing. You tell me what the American government is doing. And what if I told you we could get you to, um, the, the ship that has how on it. I can't remember what it's called. It's like discovery one. I think, mm. um, it's like, what if I told you I could get you out to discovery one before America could even get there in the next like several years. And Roy Scheider's like, well, now I'm interested. So they form kind of a treaty. Like, well, I'm, I've got a lot of cleaning to do on these satellites. So I don't know. <laughs> well, I was about to switch out my seventh rag while I cleaned this massive dome. <laughs> um, but I guess I'll listen to you. And they forge this voyage, basically, between Russian and American astronauts, uh, U.S. astronauts that go out to uh, figure out what happened with Hal. The U.S. has all the engineers who can figure out what happened with Hal and can activate him and talk to him. They bring even the scientists who created him and the Russians have everything else uh, <laughs> that, that is needed to get out there, the spaceship and all of the logistics and all of the air packs and supplies and all that stuff. Um, the movie is very slow and very meticulous. Uh, it's not the Kubrick kind of slow where it's letting you breathe in space and that kind of stuff. It's more of just dense and slow in information like it has to unpack so much about the science fiction in that Arthur C. Clarke fashion. Um, Roy Scheider keeps a journal the entire way through and is talking constantly about what he is trying to do and what's going on. I'm kind of curious if there's a cut out there that doesn't have that um, where I can just enjoy the space shots and figure out what they're doing. Uh, and everybody gives a, a really solid performance um in their character some people are a little bit hammier than others and uh there's even a return of dave dave comes back in it sorry spoilers everybody and it's that's kind of the hook is like how is dave mm. back what the fuck's happening with dave he was a space baby last time i saw him he's now a space teenager yeah and they they do like a whole bit um with him kind of giving these ominous warnings to roy scheider's character of what's going to happen um so uh yeah it, it's one of those things where I think I phrased it in my review on Letterboxd of, um, you know, if you can't learn to paint as well as the master can, why not learn to paint in your own style something different and engaging? Um, take a sidestep and don't try to make a successor make a compliment. And I feel like this what this movie is. It's a compliment to 2001. If you're really intrigued by the science behind it, 
or some of these aspects you want to see unfurled in another sequel. That's what this is. It gives you a lot of that context and that information if you didn't read the books and it builds on what it did in 2001 um, without infringing upon Kubrick's legacy and like what he left behind in 2001. I'm not going to go back to 2001 and be like, oh, yeah, I'm piecing all the lore back here and it ruins these moments or any of that. It, it doesn't interfere at all. Um, so that's kind of how I felt about it. I, I recommend hmm. it. I thought it was really great. That's interesting. I've been wanting to watch this and just haven't gotten around to it. But yeah, I, I definitely, definitely need to check it out. I'm, I'm very curious to see where they would, would go with it because to, like 2001 just feels complete. You know, it just, it feels like there's just no need to do anything else. And, um, you know, seeing more of Arthur C. Clarke's vision would be, would be interesting to me. Um, how is, how is Roy Scheider in, in the lead? He's great. Uh, you know, Chief Brody does a good job being in space. Yeah. Um, it, there's policing uh, the, several, the yeah. space. <laughs> he, he, he is, I would say, the charismatic heart of the movie. A lot of other people are really stern or um, they're very sheepish about the mission. Like some people have anxiety. Chief Brody is the rock that kind of tethers everybody together. There's a few, um, I would say overly schmaltzy or sentimental uh expositions from him in the logs he does like his wife is still on earth and he writes to her and so a lot of the logs start with like dearest martha it's been a fortnight <laughs> since blah 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 um and it it kind of in that those parts are like all right fine let's get past this but when he's actually in the moment talking with people he's kind of having to do that same like a dance of I'm trying to uh, trying to close off the beaches in a way because um, there's a shark out here uh, <laughs> and the mayor's not letting me. He's navigating similar kind of tensions and waters. Um, the pun for Jaws continues. Uh, but you yeah, get like, in the rocket. Rocket goes into space. <laughs> Sharks in space. <laughs> That's what Jaws three should have been. <laughs> After Jaws continued to seek his family for revenge, he continues to follow him to space. <laughs> Um, the, the one thing that I really found fascinating about it beyond the, the, you know, uh, Roy Scheider bit was that this is not, um, where 2001 was falling you continuously into space, similar to kind of like Ad Astra, you know, you get further and further mm -hmm. out there and you're isolated. This one plays a game of balance where it's trying to walk the tightrope of while they're in space, there are constant updates of uh, increasing aggressions between, um, the Soviet Union, which is still assumed to be around in 2010, mm. and the the United States, and how like they're having miscommunications similar to the Cuban Missile Crisis that are escalating things. And Roy Scheider and the rest of like the U.S. and the Russian crew are both like, should we really be helping each other? Are we al allied with these teams still, like these nations, or are we actually just a bunch of humans in a tin bucket out in space that need to be helping each other? Um, like how can we do anything when we're so far out? And I think that that's such a palpable despair, uh, that you can feel from the cast of like, what are we supposed to, are we supposed to pick sides when our nations are fighting on earth or does it matter in the grand scheme of things when we're looking at this monolith and all these other things out here? Um, and I thought that that was a really cool element to it that just, I don't know. I haven't seen yeah. that captured in some other movies. It does feel it's very unrealistic that there would be a joint space mission between the two countries but you said it was kind of like a let's it's, sneak out and do this before they realize what's going on it's very begrudging like the russians are uh, like okay we're gonna get you out there but you're gonna tell us what's going on with hal because you know how to operate it 
and uh, if we provide you supplies. So there's a, a lot of scenes where they're debating whether or not they can share information openly or not and trying to um, trick each other in a way and build trust or deceive. And it creates a different kind of tension and drama in space um, than like man versus machine that, that 2001 mm. did. It's interesting trying to follow up a movie with another adaptation of the sequel book when they're different. The only, the only other thing I can think of another Kubrick is that was a Dr. Death. What's it called? That was the follow-up to, um, crab. Now I forget what the overlook hotel and all that shit. The shining. Is called? The shining. Oh, Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Dr. I was Sleep, like, are you Dr. trying Death, to say Dr. Strange? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there was a Dr. Strange low sequel where they're all in the cave repopulating the earth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that the Doctor Sleep had to contend with a lot more differences to and then the movie kind of is like a weird amalgam of the adaptation of Doctor Sleep, but also trying to stay true to the movie because that's probably what people know. Um, I don't think I have read 2001 and seen the movie plenty of times. There's not really differences as much as like Clark likes to spend a lot of time talking technically about everything yeah. <laughs> and giving you like good long descriptions but the plot's about the stuff. Exact same. But I think the plot yeah. is exactly the same. Uh -huh. So I guess that that's fair, you know, to adapt it that way and then just have it be that style. But I don't know how I would feel about trying to follow up either of those. Like to be like, Oh yeah, we'll just make another one, but we'll adapt it off of this other thing. Like, I feel like the fucking Movies now are more comfortable doing that, like the Superman movies that aren't related to each other, but are related to each other and like other superhero movies that are all fucking all over the place. They just give up and they just embrace it. Yeah. I, I think what really kind of spoke to me about this one was uh, Peter Himes seemed so passionate about realizing something that Arthur C. Clarke was trying to to go for in his sequel. And he really wanted to make something. I think it's it's an interesting Example of you have several directors. We just talked about the Congress and how Ari Fullman was inspired by Kubrick and wanted to do homages to him in Dr. Strangelove and in 2001. And you get somebody here who is a director who is so inspired by 2001, both in the science fiction and in the visual composition and like the directorial power that they wanted to make a direct sequel. And they're so nervous about it. Um, it's not like a, I don't even think the studio really cared and they really tried to make it a success in some ways. Like some of the effects in this are definitely not, it's not Kubrick tier. They don't try to go for full practical. There are some opticals that definitely don't hold up, but you can sense behind every piece of this that like the props, the sets, all of the way that the production is done is done by people who are really passionate about realizing it. And also who recognize they'll never be Kubrick, which is, is, sad in a way it's bittersweet um to to kind of taste the fruits of an artist who's like i can never achieve that high i'll just do this um probably they, best they, to realize that though than to absolutely <laughs> strive for that when you could never reach it yeah, yeah yeah but it's it's one of those things where you know it's just you're witnessing somebody who's like i really want to do that and they don't misunderstand the subtext of the material they just genuinely want to follow up that's part of why i liked it so much was I was like, this is completely different. This is not 2001, but I'm okay with it. It uses nods. It has audible nods to 2001. It has like some of the score in it at times. They use it for like the monolith and these other things, but mm. it's very much more of a, a pure science fiction, like 
almost a B science fiction movie, like top tier B science fiction than it is what 2001 was. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you got to give the guy credit for even trying to do a sequel to 2001, right? Like the, you know, you're just setting yourself up for failure if you're trying to do a sequel to a Kubrick movie. But like, you know, Hyams went forward with it and and gave it his best shot. And like, that's that's cool that he, you know, had the balls to do that. You know, the the way that like, I feel like, you know, in modern days, like you couldn't if you try to make a sequel to something like that, it's just going to get shit on. So the only way to make a sequel to 2001 and have people like it is if you call it Interstellar. It's true. It's true. Which is just aping so hard from 2001, and that's the only good stuff in that movie. <laughs> uh, cool. So you are recommending 2010. Absolutely. I recommend 2010. I recommend, obviously, watching 2001 first and then watching 2010. But just going to 2010, don't expect Kubrick. Please don't expect Kubrick. That's what destroys people's opinions of yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. Ryan, what do you got for us? Uh, so I watched Labyrinth. I'm going back through movies. I watched Labyrinth a few weeks ago, and I talked about the like complete nonsense that that was. <laughs> uh, we watched Jumanji as well. That uh, I you know, feel like it still held up. I was kind of surprised by how like understated Robin Williams' performance was. Like thinking about mm. it, I was thinking of like, oh, we're gonna get a bombastic Robin Williams. It was actually a much chiller. Uh, so I followed that up with my more bombastic movie choice and i subjected my family to hook <laughs> oh no <laughs> something why, i why threatened do to do that? to people all the time <laughs> hook starring academy award winner dustin hoffman dude dustin hoffman's fucking excellent in this and bob hoskins yeah. i always feel like poor bob hoskins doesn't get enough credit he's stuck in all of these like fucking mario brothers and who framed <laughs> roger rabbit and this and he's excellent in all three and no one watches those movies and um, he's in Brazil. Let's not forget. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, he's in Brazil. <laughs> um, Hook. <laughs> I the one thing I really had this time watching Hook was like I'm still f- cannot believe how much money went into that movie. <laughs> it's the sets and all the design and everything that doesn't need to exist for what this movie is is just so ridiculous. And thinking that that like. I guess they thought this was going to be a big movie, a huge movie, and it bombed so hard. I remember there being toys. Like, this was one of those ones that had, like, toys at McDonald's that, like, no one wanted. Um, you don't want middle-aged Peter Pan? <laughs> no, you would. It was the, the day job. They had the Rufio on the surfboard, and you, like, pulled it back, and it, <laughs> it like, let it go. Um, so, it, watching it this time, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of, like, okay, Disney adapting it's shit that it's had in the past and like what it's trying to do, what it's thinking about when it does these movies and where they think they're going to go and watching it. I'm like, this is what I would rather have for an adaptation. It is not just let's fucking redo Peter Pan. It's like, okay, let's do something new with Peter Pan, which happens way too often. I don't think there's enough interesting about Peter Pan for as much shit as it gets made into and remade and all of that. Um, but there are other, like Disney has other franchises where I'm like, take it somewhere new. Like I haven't watched Cruella, but at least some fucking something else. Like, did I ask for a prequel? No, but at least it's not just a rehash, right? Which is what most of the rest of their it's not 103 is. Dalmatians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either sad, unwanted sequels that just tell the same story again or rehashing original movie. Um, and and 
I asked my family afterwards and they all were like, yeah, that was fine. Now, I, I have said they have horrible taste, um, but Darla <laughs> thought it was fine too. She she enjoyed it. And it, they, it, it really is not as bad as I feel like it gets credit. This is kind of what I was talking about last week where I'm like, someone that says this is the worst thing they've ever seen hasn't watched enough movies mm-hmm. to know what really bad movie actually is. Yeah, this one is like, it's fully, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I watched it's fully the functional. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. The hook is like it's fully functional. The characters are fleshed out. Like you know who they are. You know why things are happening. Like it, it's all there. I think the the problems with this mo- mo- movie is it's like tonal whiplash, uh, especially towards the end. Like at the end, we have this giant lost boys versus pirates fight, where in one scene, literally, a kid is like shooting eggs that a chicken is like hatching live into pirates faces. <laughs> and then another kid rolls up into a ball and like the, this is the, what all they do with the fat kid in this movie. I feel really bad about that. That's another downside to this movie. They roll him up in a giant ball and like roll him down a hill. So he knocks over all the pirates. Oh. And the next scene is Rufio getting stabbed to death by <laughs> Captain Hook, <laughs> like back to back, which is then followed with, Peter Pan and his kids just leaving. <laughs> no one ever acknowledges <laughs> Rufio again. It just oh moves on. Um, so yeah, I'm like, that's the part, but I'll, I almost feel like that makes it entertaining because as you watch this movie, you're constantly like, why? Like, what? Why do we need to be doing this? Like, what is going on? And it never exactly feels out of place, but it all is sort of like, why would someone do this in a movie? I think that's generally like what I feel about Hook is like, how did how did this get past so many people? How did this get all approved? All those boardroom um, decisions. <laughs> yes, all that, that happened. Uh, Dustin Hoffman is f- fucking excellent. Like he's he's in his he's in a whole nother movie. He's on a whole nother like, plane <laughs> of existence in this movie, yeah. and I think it's worth it just to see that because I'm like he's completely disappears into something else entirely. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a it's just like a fun ride. It's just like a fun stupid ride. And if you just like embrace like this is just completely ridiculous, stupid movie, um, it's fine. And it hits all the like classic bullshit kid bingo of like, oh, the dad doesn't come to the thing. And then he his son's pissed at him and then he has to win him back. And now he's a better parent. And like it just hits all of like the obvious notes. Um, but it does them fine. Like it does them well. And it's, it's just like it's Robin Williams. And this is what I was kind of talking about with other movies where I'm like, they're fine, but there's nothing that like elevates it to something else. And I'm like, Dustin Hoffman, Bob Hoskins, Robin Williams, like all elevate this movie to another. The, the power of like, actors. Yes, to, to something else instead of just sort of a weird, bizarre, expensive, technical bullshit movie. It, like it becomes something else because of these performances. I also this time was really kind of, surprised at the like Tinkerbell Julia Roberts plot line because I think as a kid I didn't really ever pay attention to that it was just sort of a weird like I guess Tinkerbell likes Peter Pan but it came off like really more like bittersweet and kind of weird of like this you know infatuation I guess the like the you know infatuation that Tinkerbell had with Peter Pan and then thinking that like he would come back and they would actually be something and then her knowing like I guess accepting like it's not gonna happen I'm like we need that in the Peter Pan movie, like it's another one of those things where I'm like, "What? Why do we need this? Like, why is Sounds this like in here?" Sound of metal. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah. somebody, 
somebody thought a little too hard on the Peter Pan legend and was like, all right, I guess these parts go here. <laughs> yeah, we need, we got to do something with Tinkerbell. She's a big, she's important. She's a big property. Apparently, this movie was an absolute disaster to make, I think, which is also what played into it. Like, it's way too many kids. It's mm. way too complicated sets, like with way too many things going on. Julia Roberts filmed like everything in front of a green screen before that was a cool thing to do. And so she interacted with like no one oh, and wow. was going through a really horrible breakup at the time. And so oh. she was like storming off of set and like gone Ooh. for like weeks at a time when they needed her. And which I, I mean, she was going through hell, I think, talking to no one, <laughs> like acting to no one. I've seen uh, Ian McKellen break down on the set of Lord of the Rings. I know what yes. it's like. <laughs> yeah. So the effects work for this movie is really honestly only the like flying stuff and the I don't know why they had to do it in front of a green screen stuff with Julia Roberts. Uh, and this is like early green screening where it like honestly looks like pretty much what anyone could do on a YouTube video like right now, like in like five yeah. minutes you could do with the software mm-hmm. today, but I'm sure it was like hard and ridiculously expensive then. There's like, like 1950s be... opticals that have done things better than those green screens have, right? Yeah, like... yeah, <laughs> yes. And it was one of those, I think it was more of like Spielberg was like cool new technology and wanted to play with it than necessarily it was the right fit for this movie because I was trying to comprehend why they have these just ungodly elaborate sets for the pirate town or ships or whatever. And then it's like, no, we're just going to put Tinkerbell in front of a green screen instead of building a set for that, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Have uh, you so guys I seen s- this? Has anyone actually, have anyone else other than me watched I've, it? I've in the it, world, yeah. has anyone else yeah. watched it? <laughs> so I remember seeing it as a kid and I was like, ah, oh, this is fine. Like, didn't love it. And I, like, I watched a lot of shitty movies as a kid that I really liked. And it was like, oh, I don't know. This one doesn't seem that great. My younger sister really liked it and was always wanting to watch it. I was like, really? Do we have to watch that again? Um, and then, like, I never really thought about it again until, like, I don't know, five years ago. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, all of these, like, millennials are, like, looking back on Hook as if it was the best movie ever. And I'm like, what, when, when did this happen? When did we all decide that Hook was this great masterpiece that, like, no one seemed to like at the time? Like, if I didn't like it as a kid, that means it, like, it sucked pretty hard, I would guess. But I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I haven't seen it since I was probably 11 or 12 it's probably around the same time we all decided that the uh, live action popeye movie was fucking dope (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) also robin williams (laughs) Williams. a lot of drugs on that set yeah definitely um yeah i remember this movie ryan i remember the imaginary meal that they all have where robin williams (laughs) learns to believe um something about that is just peter yeah (laughs) something about that is ingrained in my brain I'm just like, oh, like, I just need to fucking pretend that this food is good. And that's how I get through some of my meals, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't remember too much beyond that, though, other than like Peter being very sad. <laughs> not not like emotionally sad in the movie, just very a depressing character. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, yeah, I think the only other time this movie was mentioned, uh, some friends and I in college were riffing on it and I wanted to make a T-shirt that had the decapitated head of Peter Pan that said, you know how you, nothing bad can happen to you. If you never leave Neverland, I left Neverland. (laughs) That was like the t-shirt idea, but also like, what is the logic of Neverland? You just never grow old. I don't know. Ryan, I'm sure you had plenty of notes. Oh yeah. We had a conversation about (laughs) uh, my theories of growing up into pirates. I knew knew you would. Yeah. This movie, I, I was surprised looking back. This movie does acknowledge 
that there are Native Americans. I was going to ask what happened to the Neverland, <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't deal with them in any way. It just oh, has one God. offhand comment about like they pull up uh, Peter Pan's shirt to see this scar that Hook gave him from the Tiger Lily incident, and that's the only mention of it. Uh, but if you take that into context, there are other children and other adults in Never Neverland that aren't pirates or lost boys. Uh, and that, I guess, introduces new questions. Yeah, I don't, there's, it, nothing about it works. I will say, though, the, the like, one thing I noticed this time, because I, I watched this a bunch as a kid, and then I actually probably haven't watched it since. Um, at the beginning, when they're flying on the plane, uh, the voice of the pilot is Dustin Hoffman. Because uh, he's like, oh, I'm your, this is your captain speaking. And I was like, oh. That's Dustin Hoffman. To which I'm my family goes, here. "Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, that's Captain Hook's voice or whatever." My family was like, "Don't ruin it for us." And I was like, "No, there's nothing." They're like, believe me, that's not, yeah. that's not ruining the movie in any They're way. They're never gonna bring this back. <laughs> yeah, in the play version, the actor for Hook is also the actor for Wendy's dad, usually, and there's like an implication of the story being this like dealing with your parents and getting away and it kind of like being a youngian thing yeah not not realistic dick i guess or something so you know maybe you can take that in the movie it like i think functionally says okay. it's real like as far as that universe is concerned which does open up a host of problems yeah um, this was a movie yeah my sister liked this movie and watched it a lot she, she is a kid you know kids get very comfortable like they want to rewatch something and feel the yeah the comfort of it Mac and me a shit ton of times yeah i know yeah <laughs> She would do that all the time. The only one that I watched over and over was Secret of Nim, which is another like uh, not as I guess it's starting to become fondly remembered, but quite horrifying as a child movie. Um, but I didn't care for Hook, especially when the little girl sings, which I still don't like um, <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, but it has just been in my head ever since then for some stupid reason. And it's mm. all these tiny little stupid things. It's so like watching it immediately. I'm just like, hey, 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 like all this. And I say lines from this stupid thing that no one knows. Like they're just horribly out of context. Um, and yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why they stick in my mind. Uh, <laughs> you know what I realized? You, you didn't Bob even Hoskins tell and, our audience what Hook's about, Ryan. You never told them. Yeah, they got to find out the, the, the fun of it. <laughs> go watch it. I'm How recommending dare it. You? He has uh, used the words the, Peter Pan and Captain Hook several times, so I think I think people but, can pick up on context. I clues. mean, there's some context clues, but the unmitigated gall of this man <laughs> <laughs> to just it 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 is amazing. Like I, I the the plot idea that like okay, Peter Pan leaves in honestly a creepy way. The, yeah. way the movie makes it out to be. Um, and then the I guess just grows up or? and becomes a businessman or whatever. Do what? He has a child bride? I can't remember what the creepy way is. He, he So he keeps coming back to like Wendy's house like oh, over and over every so often, even after Wendy gets married and uh, is like a grandmother, I guess. Uh, he, he comes back and she's like a grandmother. By the way, Maggie Smith is uh, Wendy in this movie and they put her in to make her like 97. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. It, like it, it's quite ridiculous. So she's really good in what it is. Um, but he comes back and he's like, "Oh, you got to go with me. Let's like have another adventure." And she's like, "I'm an old woman. Like I'm not going back to Neverland. Like I don't know what Make you want." Other friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she was like, "I have my family. Like I have a granddaughter." And she like points over to the bed where her granddaughter's sleeping, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna give her a kiss." 
and he pulls out the thimble, which is like the fucking, you know, Peter Pan's a, an idiot that thinks the kiss is a thimble thing from the play and, and the book. What the fuck? He, he, she's like, no, you can't do that. Don't like do to her what you did to me. And he's like, no, I'm going to give her a real kiss. And then he legit like kisses her while he's sleeping. And we don't get any of the further beyond that. Just the magically fuck? now they're <laughs> have kids and are in the real world. And I was like, okay. And she, like Maggie Smith was okay with this. Apparently she's like, mm. yeah, Peter Pan decided to stay here with my daughter. That's fucked. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. So then, uh, through somehow, I can't remember what triggers it. Captain Hook finds out that uh, Peter Pan has kids and kidnaps them. Oh, but <laughs> tries to get out. Apparently, but Smee back has in. like mm-hmm. a fucking network of spies in the real world because multiple. <laughs> he comes. He he like captures the kids and he brings them and and Hook is like looking at him and he's like, "These are Peter Pan's kids." And he's like, "Yeah." And then when uh, Robin Williams shows up, they're like, "This isn't Peter Pan." Like this is this can't possibly be. I Peter feel like Pan. we're in the boardroom while you're pitching this to the actual executives <laughs> yes. about what would Shmee, happen in this movie. Smee pulls out like this all these papers and he's like, "We've got his dental work. We've got this. Like we we know this is him. We've checked everything." I'm Did like, "Violate how, the hippo? What? How is he Duh. doing this? Where is he getting it from?" Yeah, and then later he has like more documentation on something else entirely. And I'm like, "Okay, what? I don't even know how Smee. <laughs> I don't know how this works. How do pirates even get to the real world? I thought you had to fly with happy thoughts, and they didn't do that." Well, look forward to your 45 slide presentation on this, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. How it doesn't <laughs> work. Me gets to it. Are you recommending this or are you refuting Dude, it? Dude, I'm totally you're... recommending this. It's a, it's a <laughs> oh, fever I dream. I did not realize that. Amazing. Yeah, it's I'm a fever dream in all the right ways. Like, Labyrinth is a weird fever dream that you kind of walk away from being like, all right, that was a little too strange and, and whatever. Uh, Hook is one you walk away from being like, I have no idea what I fucking just watched. <laughs> 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 Ryan. Is this the worst Spielberg movie? Well, yeah, we did mention Ready Player One, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's kind of like a boring fever dream, I guess, right? Like that's, that's the a, problem yeah. with that. Uh, There's also the it, Terminal. Don't forget about that dumpster oh, yeah, fire. He did yeah. do the Terminal. Yeah, yeah the Terminal. He he has like the a good, post was bad. Um, yeah, there's a lot of like yeah. middle level Spielbergs that are like fine. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, Can we just say, does Indiana Jones, does, does, not Indiana Jones, does Spielberg not do a one for them, one for me, or is he always a one for them? I can't, I'm not entirely sure Dude, as a director. I think Steven Spielberg just has bad it's, taste. Like, he just <laughs> likes that stuff. He just does a one. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's the one, yeah, one it's, in the same. One for whoever. It's all for him. Honestly, after... E.T. and Indiana Jones like back to back I pretty much think he just did whatever he wanted because he's produced so many like make one movie TV with a waddling ball sack movies, and you just get a like, license whatever. to do anything yeah. well and and Jaws I guess Jaws also probably brought him a lot mm. right so those make three one are movie all movie with a swimming ball sack and you just <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think Ready Player One is his worst movie, but he's got some stinkers in there uh, John what is what is your worst Spielberg movie? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, we, Ryan? We, I think we talked about Spielberg movies before and we didn't even talk about AI, did we? <laughs> no, we never no. talked about AI. Nobody <laughs> talks about AI. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Ready Player One's my worst Spielberg. It's yeah. just so dumb. And he showed up to set, put on a VR headset and said, yeah, this looks good. And then he just like left. I'm pretty sure <laughs> there's, there's nothing else about that movie that I care to talk about or give a shit about. It's just disappointing. <laughs> I might, if I watched it again, I'm not definitely not going to, but I might. I might think the terminal is the worst one. It's Tom Hanks doing a re- weird accent. 
uh, a vaguely European accent yeah. as he stays yeah. in mm-hmm. the terminal. Being stuck in the terminal. It's a, the stupidest fucking plot. Tom Hanks finds love while he eats crackers full of ketchup to survive. Uh, yeah. It's castaway yeah. in society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of has all the wrong things and all the wrong lessons from mm-hmm. it as well. Yeah. That guy died recently, didn't he? I think he died yeah, in that he terminal. Went- he went back. <laughs> he did. It's no, really no, sad. No, yeah, the actual Tom, guy. He lived terminal. in that terminal until he died. And <laughs> no, he they never showed so that he part got of Tom out. Hanks. Yeah, he eventually got out. Like at some point, he was allowed to leave, but he didn't for like a long time. Like he finally got his visa stuff sorted out, and he stayed there for a while after that. And then he did leave. And then like six months before he passed, or something like that, he came back to the terminal and started living in the terminal again. Where's the Spielberg movie about like, that? Yeah, That's I guess everyone was like, oh God, maybe he knew he was dying. Way more. Yeah, no, yeah they, it's like a dog when they crawl underneath the house. Yes. <laughs> they just want to be alone in their habitat they're comfortable in. Yeah, I'm talking so about the like I mental. This man to a dog. I feel terrible. Mm. Though. Yes. <laughs> talking about the mental stress of that person, like what they went through and oh all God. like, nah, movie doesn't touch on that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a quirky, vaguely European American man. Uh-huh. Whatever. Tom Hanks. <laughs> That's amazing. Basically, the accent he did. Sure. But Ryan, yeah, was AI did. your answer to the question? Ah, oh, dude, AI's AI's just too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for being honest, there are parts of it that are okay. It just sort of like goes on at some point. It kind of just keeps going, and you're like, "Are we done with this yet?" It's amazing yeah, I mean, to me that this was going to be that was going to be a Kubrick movie, and then Spielberg did it. It's like there's no way this looks yeah. anything like what it was supposed to, right? Like, and and. Kubrick really respected Spielberg as a filmmaker, which is also weird to me. Until like that they're, movie. They're so different in what they do, but yeah. Until after, yeah. That, is Bicentennial Man technically Spielberg? I know it wasn't directed by him, but uh, can we it just call that? It wasn't directed by him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ryan, I need your answer. Speaking, Worst Spielberg speaking movie. Of, yeah, I think, I think it was probably AI from like, I'll just say okay. that. Ready Player One is pretty terrible. And I have watched that one more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when I ran out. That was part of when I ran out of movies on the airplane and I was watched everything. That was one of the ones I watched and regretted. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty really, much it's those, really, those dis- three really depressing good, movie. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think it depends on like what bad, what, what type of bad, like you choose your poison. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, cool. So we've got a recommend for Hook. Surprise recommend. Yeah. Uh, I am talking about Kelly Reichert's new film, Showing Up. Hi. She's amazing. Love the green stockings. what I'm supposed to do without hot water. My show's open on Friday. I'll be free to deal with it after that. I have a show too, you know. You're not the only one with a deadline. I know, but I have two shows, which is insane. Hey, give me a push. I saw some of Joel's work at a studio yesterday. Wow, it just gives me such a lift. Pretty amazing. When's my hot water coming back on? (sighs) I'm on it. Easy on the cheese. It's for everyone. I don't want to run out. Cheese is out on the table. You shouldn't put cheese out on the table if you don't want people to eat it. Uh, This week I watched, I caught up on some new 2023 movies that I hadn't gotten to yet, and this was one of them. And John watched it a month or two ago, 
and uh, did not like it at all. So I thought it would be interesting to bring to the podcast and hear John's uh, more fully fleshed out thoughts on it. Um, Kelly Reichert is a director that I respect, but don't like love her stuff. And she's like a critics are a big fan of Kelly Reichert. Like every year she makes a movie, her movie showing up on, you know, a bunch of critics, top 10 lists and, and things like that every year. Um, I think she's really talented. She is very minimalist, um, too, a little too minimalist for me. Um, I still think she makes good movies, but um, it's definitely a, a choice that she's making to kind of be as reserved as possible in her filmmaking. Um, and not in the way that like Brisson is minimalist. It's, it's different. It, it like, that feels like a stylistic choice, like an active stylistic choice. And this feels more like a passive decision, I guess. Um, but Riker has made, uh, movies like first cow from a few years ago that got a lot of acclaim certain women. Um, and you know, her, her movies are, are good. They're all, they're all well done. Uh, showing up stars, Michelle Williams, who is a frequent collaborator with Kelly record. She is, um, an artist who has to work a day job at her mom's company. Um, as like an admin person in the office and then, you know, really pursues her passion outside of work to um, create uh, sculptures is, is kind of the art form that she likes to play with. Um, she is renting an apartment from her landlord, played by Hong Chow, who is also an artist and has gone to the same art school that she has. And Hong Chow has, has gotten more acclaim for her art than Michelle Williams' character has. And there's a little bit of kind of jealousy between the two, um, they have a very interesting dynamic where like they're friends, but Hong Chao's character is the type of person who um, doesn't really think through how her actions are affecting other people and, and kind of flies by the seat of her pants and just does kind of whatever she wants to do in the moment. And that can have implications on her friendships and, and the people around her. And they they kind of have just very different viewpoints on on life. Michelle Williams' character is very meticulous and is always thinking and worrying about everything that's going on. Hong Chao's character is very carefree and just kind of focused on her art and doesn't really let anything else in the world bother her or, or get in her way. Um, and the movie just follows the course of a couple of weeks as they're both getting ready for their respective art shows that they have. Hong Chao's character does more like installation art pieces and Michelle Williams is working on these little sculptures of girls that are, uh, you know, one to two feet long. And, uh, Andre 3000 is also in it who plays a, uh, um, an artist who owns a, like a kiln where like, Mm -hmm. you know, people take their pottery and he puts it in the kiln and, and, uh, you know, bakes it for them. Um, so they're kind of all in this little artist community and, uh, you know, run around in the same circles, but, um, I, I liked showing up. I recommend it. It is very, uh, minimalist and reserved to a point where like, if that's not your thing, you're not going to like the movie, uh, like John, but, um, I like for me, there is a place for that kind of movie. I thought it was very relaxing to watch. I watched it at the end of a very long, stressful workday, and it really helped me unwind and to just kind of slow my heart rate down and get in a different rhythm. Um, it The movie does have sort of a rhythm to it, almost kind of like a Brisson film does, but it's, um, you know, it, it's definitely very different. Um, Michelle Williams is always good. Um, her character, 
is kind of quirky and um you know you don't see a lot of depth into what's going on with her but she, i think she does a good job in the role i, I always love hong chow she's great and uh, andre 3000 is a really good actor um, he's always credited as and- andre benjamin but i can't I can't call him that. He's under 3,000. <laughs> um, um, he's always very good. I th- it's been interesting to see his acting career over the last few years. He's been working with a lot of acclaimed auteurs like Kelly Riker and Claire Denis and doing these weird roles in indie films. And I, I like what he's doing with his, um, his acting. He also wrote the flute music for this movie, which I thought was interesting. Did not know he played the flute, but um, they call that out in the credits. I thought that was cool. But um, yeah, I liked it. It's a slow character piece that's just kind of dealing with what it's like to be an artist who has to work a full-time job in order to be able to, you know, finance her passion outside of that. But uh, I did enjoy it. But uh, John, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I know you were kind of befuddled by it. Yeah, I, I it's one of those movies. It's similar. I think I, I, in my letterbox review, I referenced Patterson, um, mm-hmm. which I where, loved Patterson and you did not. Yeah. yeah and I, I didn't love this. I liked it. But yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if there's some I think I'm hitting some frequency of my tastes that I just can't get in tune with because I'm already kind of past it. Like, I don't know, in a way uh, that sounds kind of pretentious or some fucking full of my shit um, way to phrase it. but there are these like meditative films like Patterson and uh, showing up where the pace is so slow. I feel like it's supposed to connect to an audience that doesn't usually think about these things, but I think about them all the time. And so it just sounds like extra noise to me and parts of it ring false because it's sculpted. Like it's not organic. There are certain parts of the character dynamics um, and the way the characters interact that are supposed to be, uh, you know, natural pointing to these dynamics you were talking about, like Hong Chao being a little bit more carefree, less aware of what she does to people. But that movie, I, I saw it a long time ago, a long time ago now, relatively speaking. A month or two ago, yeah, right? <laughs> it was more than a month or two ago. But two or three months ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whenever it was in theaters, I, there's many movies between now and then that I've seen. And yet the thing I remember is at the very beginning um, just like going to find Hong Chao in a backyard swinging in a tire in a tree. And that is like, to me, a very forceful symbol of somebody who is happy go lucky and has a good time. And it felt like it was like, this is this kind of character. This is who they are instead of some of the later sequences where she's hanging out with friends and being extremely loud on like a balcony, which really convey Mm -hmm. that. And those moments to me ring false and a similar thing with Patterson is like, there's just extra emphasis on some of the Zen that Adam driver's character has in that movie that feel like the director slapping me in the face with check it out. Like this is the moment. And even if they're being biting about it or trying to be kind of like, Hey, you know, this kind of toxic, um, artist perspective internally, uh, like Michelle Williams character sort of has that obsessiveness of like, I'm trying to make my own art. And like, I can't believe like Hong Chao mm-hmm. is doing these things, but like there are parts that just don't feel like there is enough conflict for me or enough of what this character's logic is. Like I understand the rules of the story that are being told to me and I understand who the character is, but I never feel like we get to the threshold that should really challenge that character. Like Michelle Williams, by the end of this movie has a whole exhibition she's ramping up to and she's stressed about. And then it just, like happens and it dissolves. And 
yeah, that can be real life for sure. But I felt like the movie itself had such an encapsulated and narrow audience of people that came into that. It didn't feel like there was anybody externally outside of the cast that really came in to challenge her. Um, some curveball that would have been thrown where she was actively like some random dude who walked in from the street from like a Jersey Mike's with a fucking sub sandwich in his hand. Who's like, fuck is all this? Sorry, this is bullshit. And like her being <laughs> upset about it or something um, and having Hong Chow. I don't want Hong Chow to like have to console her, but Hong Chow and her do have moments where they recognize each other as artists, mm-hmm. but it still feels like a director pulling strings, like a puppeteer behind it that I can see. And so when I got out of the theater, I was like, yeah, I get it, but I just don't love it. And I, I don't even know that I like it per, like to the full effect. And one of my friends who told me he kind of rated it like, you know, four or five stars. He was like, oh, you know, it's all about that, like artist jealousy, like jealousy and envy of other people's art and what they're doing. And I'm like, I just never really felt that. Like I understood it, but I never felt it. And that was like, for me, mm-hmm. what I took away. So that's my take. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I like Kelly Reichert is not, for everybody I, the fact that you said feel like feels like a director pulling strings like i don't know that's movies you know, I don't it, know. <laughs> it, it is it is movies but they're supposed to be parts parts where you like lapse and and even if sure, you're gonna yeah. do a minimalism like brisson mm-hmm. um where you're trying to take away certain elements uh i just felt like the wrong elements in this movie were taken away to expose what kelly Reichert was trying to explore and in my opinion it ended up being this other aspect of like all right, well, um, what am I supposed to be taking away from this artist's journey? Like there's moments in that movie that felt like, were they supposed to be comedic? Were they darkly comedic? And, you know, was it just so subtle that I didn't get it? Or was it genuinely trying to explore the validity? It's such a tightrope act when you're trying to, your character is technically despicable in a way. Um, There are things in, in uh, Michelle Williams character that I recognize in myself. And I, that's when I should resonate. And I just didn't. So uh, that was kind of what I felt um, uh, from, from the way the direction was not that I want it to be organic. I don't want it to feel natural. There's different directing styles. Sure. But um, in terms of minimalism, I, I felt like it was a little too, it was too little or it was too much um, on the balance for me. So Hmm. I I definitely think it is, it is trying to be funny in a lot of the movie, but it's not like making you laugh out loud, slap your knee funny. It's like, subtle humor that you're like yeah yeah that's that's pretty good and then you kind of move on like it's it's not trying to get you to like audibly laugh i think um like everything around the pigeon i thought was pretty fucking funny yes i enjoyed that yeah i had a good time with it and and i thought that was a good way to to kind of comment on both of those two characters um in a way that i i thought worked pretty well um it basically a uh, uh, part of the movie where a, a pigeon flies into Michelle Williams uh, window and her cat starts mauling it. And so she, then she just like dumps the pigeon out of her back window and Hong Chow is her neighbor and landlord finds it in the flower bed the next day. And she's like, Oh, look, I found this pigeon. You got to help me fix its wing. And then she like bandages <laughs> it up and she's like, well, can you take care of this all day now? Cause I gotta go do my art. You're not doing anything else. Right. Why don't you take care of this fucking pigeon? And like, <laughs> yes, that dynamic is, is I feel like it's a really good way to establish those two characters and kind of who they are and the differences between them. And the, Michelle Williams is pissed, but she's also just very concerned about the bird. And she's like, yes. well, now I guess I have to make sure this thing is going to be okay. And she's like, 
going above and beyond to take care of this thing. Meanwhile, Hong Chao kind of forgets about it for a while. And, you know, when she does take care of it, she's not tending to it in a fashion that Michelle Williams thinks is enough. Right. So then she's getting upset and it's like you threw this thing out your window and now you are like concerned about it's, you know, being taken care of the best it can. And and I thought that was a a really uh, good way to explore those characters and not everything in the movie works as well as the scenes around the, the bird, but that goes through a lot of the film and, and um, you know, I, I thought that that worked pretty well. Yeah. But which uh, movies of Kelly Rockhart do you recommend to start with or to jump into? Yeah, I think First Cow is probably the most approachable of the ones that I have seen. I haven't seen a lot of her earlier work. I've I've heard great things about Wendy and Lucy and Night Moves and, and some of her earlier films. Um, I've seen Certain Women, First Cow, showing up. I feel like I've seen one or two others, but um, First Cow is is a little bit more... There's more traditional plot in it. It's still very reserved, but... Um, it's, it almost has a heist quality to it where like it's set in the, you know, frontier West and I think in Oregon in like the 1800s and it's following these two characters who are trying to steal milk from like the one rich guy that has a cow in the area so that they can make biscuits and sell them to people. And it's like, <laughs> it's a very low stakes plot, but it's like, yeah. you know, then like sneaking onto his farm at night to milk his cow. And, and like, um, so it's, there's more kind of traditional plot elements there. And I think first cow is probably my favorite of her movies that I have seen. So. Okay. Uh, again, didn't love it as much as a lot of people did. Like so many critics were like, oh, it's one of the top 10, five movies of the year. I didn't love it to that degree, but I thought it was, it was very good. And I, I definitely enjoyed it and would recommend it. I will also say I went with the crowd that was not on the same wavelength of this movie. Like I was able to vibe with it, like get onto a certain level and appreciate it. I wouldn't say that mm. I fully enjoyed it. Um, hence my review, but uh, yeah, afterwards, it did not help that the entire crowd I was with was just like, the fuck was this movie about? Did anything happen? Did this movie even show up? And no. I was just like, oh, <laughs> you saw it at AFS, right? I did. Yeah, it seems odd that uh, I don't know. I have I've seen stuff at Oz Film Society where the crowd was not on the movie's wavelength. But um, I will say our our the group that I went with was a bunch of people who don't usually go to AFS. And one of them uh, was in town visiting and like came with just to tag along. And the rest of the audience was significantly older than the rest of us. So yeah, they had nothing but time to enjoy a movie like that. And my crowd <laughs> was like, come on, get to like whatever the fucking conflict or action is. And like, it just got, when so, does she get superpowers? Yeah. Somebody was like, Oh my God, it's Andre 3000. <laughs> I was like <laughs> the one reaction the movie got from them. He's from outcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I saw a, an advanced screening of first reformed at AFS and it like knocked me on my ass. I was like, Oh my God, I love this movie so much. This is one of the best things I've ever seen. And it, when it ended, like I was sitting there in shock and everyone was getting up like, what the fuck was that? Like walking out, out of the theater because it, that movie ends in such a, that movie wasn't nearly way. as awesome as taxi driver was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've been in, in crowds at art house fil- the- theaters before where, where people aren't on the same wavelength as the movie, but I will give it another chance. Like I, it's not that I'm not going to return to it. I just need time to cool down from my, previous i mean i don't know that you have to it is what it is like you know i don't know that you're gonna like gain 
some sort of appreciation, different appreciation for filmmaking, going to see it again or something. But well, I still want to give that a shake and Patterson a shake again because I saw yeah. them at different points in my life. At some point, I'll make you like watch to. Patterson again. Yeah. Sure, I'm <laughs> down. Yeah. <laughs> like the, uh, there, there are these movies that we just bounce around. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. we like yeah. talk about over and over, but never. We've really we've mentioned about Blade Runner so many times, <laughs> Patterson. Uh, yeah, movies that, that we first reform just came up done. again. Space yeah. Jam Two. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, we talked about Space Jam Two. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. We don't talk about that again. Uh, cool. Uh, so I'm recommending showing up. Um, John is recommending 2010, and Ryan content. is yeah. sort of recommending Hook. He's recommending Hook full on, apparently. Yeah, full Ryan's on, just, full on recommendation. He's just firing from the hip here, putting everybody in danger. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, me? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly that. You kind of schlock, John, where you just got to let yourself go in the insanity mm. of all of it. It's fine. Go to Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this week. I have been your host, Michael Dixon, with me as always. Ryan King. Bangarang. It's a thing they try to make into a thing. They They try to make it happen. They try to make it happen. (laughs) And John Garcia. I'm not going to try to do the bangarang. No bangarang. That's bullshit. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.